Today I'll be reading from Jeremiah 17 verses 5 to 18 and 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17 to 18. Jeremiah 17 verses 5 to 18. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is a person who trusts in mankind. He makes him a fleshy strength and his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Arab. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land where no one lives. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He is like the tree planted by water. It sends a root out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when he comes, and his foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. The heart is more discreetful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to its own way, according to what his actions deserve. He who makes a fortune unjustly is like a partridge that hatches eggs. It didn't lay. In the middle of his life, his riches will abandon him. So, in the end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is his place of our sanctuary. Lord, dope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt. For they have abandoned the Lord, the, fount the fountain of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my praise. Hear how they keep challenging me. Where's the word from the Lord? Let it come. But I have not run away from being your shepherd. And I have not longed for your faithful fatal day. You know my words were spoken in your presence. They have become a terror to me, your refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutor be put to shame, but don't let me be put to shame. Let them be terrified, but don't let me be terrified. Bring on them the day of disaster. Shatter them with total destruction. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17 to 18. Therefore, if anyone in Christ is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled, reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us his ministry through reconciliation. Thank you for listening. Let's pray uh, as we come to uh, think about what God says here. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that you will open our eyes to see the truth of your word. We pray that you will open our hearts so that your spirit may speak to us and change us. 
And we pray that you will change us from within to live out uh, the, the truth of this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James, can you pull me down just a little bit, please? Thank you. Now today I want to deal with uh, what is perhaps a tricky question. You know, we, we often talk about state-of-the-art things, things that are, are good and new and they help us to live in this world. They're, they're wonderful inventions, for example. A state-of-the-art computer is a good thing to have because it's going to solve all these problems of yours. And so if we are to have a state-of-the-art faith, we need to understand the state of our hearts. And so, because I like silly little puns, I've called this a state-of-the-heart faith. Um, And so I'm going to try and attempt to do something a little bit tricky here this morning and ask the question, uh, should we trust people? Should we trust people? Should uh, Should we trust those that are around us? And we're going to look at this, uh, at this passage in Jeremiah, which I think answers this question for us pretty well, uh, under three, three sort of subheadings. The problem, the path of the desert, and the path of the river. And so, before we get in, we need to understand uh, what Jeremiah is doing here. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was primarily a prophet to the people of Judah. And we have to understand what that means if we're going to understand Uh, our passage here. And so if you know your Israelite history, you will remember that Judah as a nation exists only because of Israel's sin. Okay? So what happened is that God, you know, he chose Israel to be his special possession, his people. They were were supposed to show the world how good it is to live under God's rule. Israel was supposed to be this kind of light on a, on a hill uh, where they would show all the nations how wonderful it was to be God's people. That was kind of their whole purpose. Except that Israel didn't really do that, did they? They constantly rebelled. They constantly turned away from God. They consistently rejected him. They continually turned to idols and worshipped these foreign gods who were not God as their God. And so in the end, uh, God loses his patience with them. And he says, in this case to, to Solomon, who was the king at the time, that he was going to split Israel into two nations. The northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom would be the kingdom of Judah. Now this is important because the southern kingdom was probably the morally superior of the two kingdoms. Judah was more devoted to God than Israel was. They kept the worship of God more purely. But in the end, even Judah turns away from God. And they were found to be untrustworthy. They turned from God to worship the gods of of Canaan. And at last God loses patience even with the southern kingdom of Judah And so he sends Jeremiah to tell Judah that they too are about to be conquered uh, by uh, by their enemies, just like the northern kingdom of Israel had been. Judah, this more morally pure, this more dedicated to God, the more true in worship Judah, ends up being untrustworthy, just like Israel was. Now why is that? Why did Israel and Judah constantly turn away from God? I mean, God saved Israel out of Egypt, right? 
He freed them from being slaves. He miraculously protected them as they left Egypt. He travelled with them as a cloud during the day that provided shade and shelter from the desert sun. He warmed them in the cold desert night as a fire, a pillar of fire that was with them. He provided their food for them day in, day out for 40 years as they walked through the desert. He gave them water in the literal desert in this place of dryness. He constantly uh, was with them. He was with them when they entered the promised land. He delivered the mighty stronghold of Jericho into their hands without so much as lifting a single sword arm. At every turn, God was Israel's God, but Israel was not God's people. Why is it that at every turn they turn away from God? Why would they reject God who so carefully looked after and provided for them? Why leave? But friends, this is not a question that just Israel and Judah has to ask. I think this is a question all of us actually have to wrestle with too. Why is it that Peter left Jesus and all it took is three little questions about whether he was his travelling companion? Why do we turn our back on the God who saved us all the time. I mean, we like to pretend that we don't. But when we're honest with ourselves, I think we do this all the time. Do we not tell ourselves, oh, I can just do this thing, just commit this sin one more time, you know, I'll ask forgiveness once I've done it, it'll be fine, and God has to forgive me, because that's what he's all about, isn't it? Or we think to ourselves, oh, I'll hate myself in the morning, but you know, you only live once. And lo and behold, when the morning comes, you do hate yourself for what you've done. Or we tell ourselves that the Bible and its rules and regulations are just too hard to keep. They're out of date with this world. Uh, You know, we like what the Bible says about love and forgiveness, but we don't like what it has to say about other things. And so we're just going to pick and choose the bits and pieces we like and just leave out the rest. Love your neighbour, that sounds good. Don't let your anger control you, not too bad. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Well, that one I might leave at the door. And so we sculpt for ourselves a new idol, a new type of God, a new golden calf, if you will, and we tell ourselves that this is the Lord your God who saved you up from your sins. And we will worship at that altar and we will give ourselves to that fake, weak imitation of a God that has very little to do with the God of the Bible, and we will call ourselves believers. All the while we have been carried off into the land of slavery to sin, and we never even realised it. And before we know it, what separated us from the world no longer separates us from the world. And we have become just like the world. We're even still, even... If we don't go down that path, we want to stick to God's word, stick to what God wants for us, for what, you know, do what God has revealed in our Bible, we find that it is a daily struggle. The Apostle Paul even writes about this in, in Romans chapter 7. He wanted to do what is right and he says this, I don't understand what I'm doing. This is verse 15. Because I don't do what I want to do, but I do the things I hate. 
Verse 19, for I don't do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil I don't want to do. My friends, have you not felt this in your life? Haven't we all seen this play out in our existence? Christians throughout the ages have struggled with this. In one of my favourite hymns, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, he captures it so well. It was written in 1758, for goodness sake. You know, it's like almost 300 years ago now. And he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Is this not who we are? What is our problem? Why, why are we like this? Why after everything that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, do we wander, do we leave? What is wrong? Well, verse 9 of Jeremiah 17 tells us what's wrong. He says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else, and it's incurable. Who can understand it? The reason you and I are like this is because our heart, this internal engine room of our lives, the operating system that runs us, if you will, it is broken, it is deceitful, it is incurable. <clears throat> to be deceitful is to, to be tricky, to manipulate, to mislead. Is that not how we find ourselves? Does our heart not manipulate us time and time again? Saying things to us like, oh, go on, it'll be fun, even when your conscience knows that this just isn't true. And our heart keeps doing it because it is incurable. The, the word underneath there means to be gravely ill. I actually don't think the CSB has done a good job at translating that. It means to be desperately sick. Strangely, the NIV has it better. Um, uh, to, it's to be on its deathbed, right? That is the state of our heart. It is, it is tumour-filled and pus-filled. It's barely beating. It is sick beyond cure. It is gravely ill. It is nowhere near the, the heart that God had designed us with. This is why we don't obey the rules. Not even the rules we put in place for ourselves. This is why we turn from God and we wander and we leave the Lord we love. We have a problem. And if we want to be wise, if we want to have the kind of faith that helps us to live in this world, a state of the heart faith, then we must come to grips with this reality. We are deeply, desperately flawed people. We have a deeply sick heart. And we can deal with that in one of two ways. And Jeremiah gives us an example of two different paths we can follow. Two different ways we can deal with this problem. The first is the path of the desert, or the desert plant, if you like. Verse 5, he says, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength, and his heart turns from the Lord. Now, Immediately, I want to just pause here and we need to understand what the prophet means when he says to trust in people. Because trusting in people is different to trusting people, right? 
We trust people all the time. That is good and necessary for a society to live and work and function. You should be able to trust your husband or your wife. You know, you made a vow for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do you part. It is right that you trust your spouse. You should be able to trust that loyal friend that you've had, you know, since you were yay high, who has walked the highs and the lows with you, who knows you better than they know the back of their own hand, who isn't afraid to tell you when you're doing the wrong thing, making a mistake, and who will be there to pick you back up after you've, you know, stupidly made said mistake. It is right to trust that person. We should be able to trust people who are trustworthy. It is good and normal and, and is, is necessary if we're going to live in a community of people. But trusting people is very different from trusting in people. Now, if you are familiar with the story of Judah, you will understand what is going on here. Now, in Judah's history, the kings of Judah trusted in the power and the strength of the other kingdoms around them to protect them with their military might instead of trusting in God. That is what Jeremiah is talking about. The first one to do this was King Ahaz. Now, what happened is Israel was coming to invade Judah. Now, that's a bad situation to begin with, but Judah did not have the strength to defend Jerusalem. And so what Ahaz did is he writes to Assyria, the bad kingdom, and he says, um, please come with your army and protect the city. The second king to do this was King Hezekiah. He made an alliance with Egypt, the place from which Israel had escaped and was supposed to be, you know, not bonded to. Uh, and he writes to them and they then protect Judah with their power. You can read this in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Kings 18. Now what we have to understand is that in both cases, God so condemned these kings for their foolish actions, for their lack of trust in him, that, uh, because they ultimately put their trust in uh, other kingdoms rather than in God, that he sends the prophet Isaiah to talk to them about this and to give them an oracle. And this is what he says uh, to his people through, through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 30, um, chapter 30, 31, verse 1. He's writing first to Ezekiah here. He says, "'Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help "'and who depend on horses.'" They trust in the abundance of chariots and in large numbers of horsemen. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel and they do not seek the Lord. And to Ahaz, he says in, in Isaiah 7 verse 9, he says, If you don't stand firm on your faith, then you will not stand at all. And so God is condemning the actions of these kings for trusting in the strength and the power of these other kingdoms. Now what's interesting is that directly after this passage, Isaiah then proclaims that the Messiah, he's talking about Jesus, would one day come to save God's people, uh, to deliver God's people from not just the, the kingdoms around them, but ultimately from their sin. But it won't happen now until Judah is wiped out and carried off into slavery. And so trusting in someone is to to build your life, your foundation, have your security in, uh, in that person or in that nation or in that kind of strength. And that's quite different from trusting a trustworthy person. It's to build your hopes and your dreams 
and your securities on that person. For Ahaz and Hezekiah, they built the salvation of Israel on the strength of these other people. And often I think we build our lives, we can trust in other people to make us feel safe, to, uh, to surround us, to promote us, to do all kinds of things that we build our lives on people. And it is utterly foolish. Let's just put our logical thinking caps on for a moment. If it's true that the human heart is broken and deceitful and wicked, beyond cure, desperately sick, then why would you build your life on people whose hearts are like that? Why would we trust in mankind when all of mankind shares the same affliction? I think the Hebrew here is helpful because Jeremiah says, uh, you know, cursed is the, is the one who trusts in mankind. Mankind there is literally the sons of Adam, the descendants of Adam. Why would we trust in Adamish people when the problem that has cursed the world is because of the sin of Adam, right? And it is for this reason that Jeremiah tells us that people who do this, who put their trust in mankind, in the descendants of Adam, are utterly foolish and their lives will be lacking. This is what he says. This person will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but he dwells in parched places in the wilderness, in the salt land where no one, where no one lives. Now, he gives us this picture of a, of a desert juniper bush. What you need to think of is this kind of scraggly, um, useless little shrubbery out there in the desert struggling to survive. It barely clings to life. It lives in a place where there is no water. And one of the commentators, which I find helpful, Matthew Henry, is, is quite a number, 100 years old now, but, I mean, he's dead, but he's wrote a couple hundred years ago. Uh, he uses a bit of old language, but I think it's just so, it's kind of cute. He says... This is a, a sorry shrub. It is the product of barren ground. It is sapless, useless, and worthless. His comfort shall fail him, and his hopes will be blasted. He shall wither, he shall be dejected in himself, and he will tra be trampled on by all those around him. That is what it's like to build your life on people, on trusting in people to keep you safe keep you right. You become a sorry shrub, sapless, worthless and useless. Why? Because no matter how good that person is, their heart is wicked and deceitful and desperately beyond cure. And they will disappoint you at some point. If you have built your life on the goodness of someone who is not good, it will out. And your world will come crashing down. The sons of Adam, the descendants of Adam, cannot bear the weight of perfection. All of us will fail at some point. And so it is utterly foolish to build your life on the foundation of another person.
even when that person is you. My friends, we cannot save ourselves. A person with a desperately sick and incurable heart cannot heal themselves. Trusting in our own strength and our own power will lead to a cursed death. We cannot trust others to save us. We cannot trust in our own strength to save us because we all share the same problem. The path of the desert plant is a path that leads to destruction and death and it leaves us with only one option and that is the path of the tree or the river. Because we all share a problem and it means trusting in humanity will save us, uh, to save us is ultimately foolish. It only leaves us with the, with the option of trying the other path, the river path. Jeremiah writes here in verse 7, The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its root out, roots out towards a stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its foliage remains green. It will not uh, worry in a year of drought, and it will not stop producing fruit. So what's Jeremiah saying here? He's saying that if you build your life, if the Lord is the foundation of your life, then you are going to be blessed abundantly. Now the prophet could only see a small portion and we've got the whole New Testament that he didn't have. So we see now much more fully what it means to trust in the Lord our God. It means for us, it means to come and to, uh, and to reject our natural instinct to try and justify ourselves before God, but to come humbly before God with empty hands and to say, Lord, actually, I believe what you have to say about my heart. I know that my heart is wicked and deceitful. I know that I am in and of myself incurable and desperately sick and I need your help. I need you to forgive me. Will you give me a new heart? Will you help me to turn from my wicked and evil ways? Will you help me now to follow you? It is to be like the story that Jesus told of, of the Pharisee who was praying and the, and the wicked man who was praying in the temple. And the Pharisee said, Oh Lord, so wonderful I am. Thank you so much that I'm not as bad as this dude. And the person who was wicked cried out. He beat his chest, which was a way of showing that he was sorry for who he was. And he said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am a sinner. And Jesus says, The one that is justified is the one who came to God with nothing and cried out for mercy. Because, friends, when we do this, we are building our lives on a solid foundation of the Lord. Our trust is indeed in the Lord. We don't believe then that we can come and stand before God and say, look at this wonderful life that I've lived. Look at all the good things that I've done. You must accept me on that basis. No. When we trust in the Lord, we are saying that I believe that Jesus has done everything that is necessary and I want his life. I don't want my own. But when we do this, friends, God gives us a promise. And this is the promise that we read in our second reading in 2 Corinthians 5. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. The prophet Ezekiel writes it this way in chapter 36, verse 26. He says, this is what God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. If we would but come and put our trust in the Lord, he will swap out that broken and sick heart and say, here is a new one. And when that happens, uh, we are given a capacity that Paul writes to Titus about. He says to Titus, in, uh, in, which was this person he was mentoring in chapter 2, he says, um, uh, you can now deny the godlessness and the worldly lust that we live in. We can now live a sensible and righteous life, godly, even in this present age. If we want to have a state-of-the-art faith, we need to understand our state of the heart and get given a new heart by God. For when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and our hearts are replaced with new ones. And then we go through this process of slowly maturing in Christ, leaving our old selves behind, and we start to live as these truly new creations. And that leaves us with a question to consider this morning. In whom will you put your trust? Or to ask it another way, on whom will you build your life? What will be the foundation that you build your life on? The psalmist in Psalm 146 encourages us, he says, do not trust in nobles, in the son of a man who cannot save. So who will we build our lives on? In the son of man who can save or on human beings who will lead us to a cursed life? Because here's the thing, and I want to finish with this. If we are going to build our lives on the Lord, if we're going to trust in the Lord, then we are going to trust that what he says is true. And I really love what Nikki did with the children's talk this morning. You need to understand the rules of life in order to do uh, the right thing, right? And so if we are going to build our lives on the foundation of the Lord, we are going to be people who trust in his word. And that is going to radically shape the way we live our lives. It's going to have significant implications for the things that we think about and the things that we do. It's going to make us at once strange but also attractive. We're going to be like that tree in the, growing by the water that doesn't get swayed by every season of change that comes in this world. Because that tree, what does it say? Its roots are connected to the water. Now that's not a picture that, the, that Jeremiah just uses because it's nice. Jesus describes himself as the living water, the one who will give us eternal life. And so if we're going to be connected to Christ, building our lives on what he says in his word, then we're going to be radically different people. And when the world tells us that all spiritualities and all religions are equal and they're all just different ways of, of reaching nirvana or heaven or whatever, we will hear the Son of Man say, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
and we will trust in the Lord. And when we are wronged and hurt and our hearts yearn for vengeance, for payback, for revenge, we will hear the word of the Lord that says, vengeance is mine, you are to love your enemies, and we will build our lives on the Lord, trusting in him, that he knows what is right and good for us. And when we hear that constant refrain that love is love, we will hear the word of the Lord who proclaims that God is love. And we will build our lives on his word. And when the chant goes up on the steps of parliament, my body, my choice, we will remember the words that God spoke even to Jeremiah. Before I, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And when we voice our opinion on gender issues and get cancelled for being bigoted and exclusive, we will remember some of the first words that were ever written and spoken by our Lord. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Friends, trusting in the Lord is going to radically shape the way we live our lives. And if we are going to build our lives on something that's not going to sway with the seasons, it's going to be deeply rooted, that is actually going to be sufficient for living in this world, that is in fact going to be state of the art, then we need to build our lives on Christ and his word. And when we do that, when at last Jesus returns, he will look to those who recognize that their hearts were deceitful and wicked and needed a cure and in response cried out to God and said, please give me a new heart. Those who trusted in the Lord, he will look to them and King Jesus will say, come to me, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the beginning of the world. And if we want to be in that group of people, we need to build our lives trusting in the Lord. Because on that day, we will know what it means to be truly blessed. Let me pray. Lord, as we consider the state of our hearts, we recognize that we do not have the wisdom to understand what is good and right, even for ourselves. Lord, we deceive even ourselves when we consider the things we want to do. And when we listen to our hearts, we invariably end up doing the, right, no, the, the wrong thing. Lord, we need the wisdom to understand that you are our creator, that you are the one who designed us, that you are the one who knows what is best. Help us to stubbornly refuse to bow to the wisdom of the world and to continue to follow you even when it gets tricky, being deeply rooted and connected to the living water that is our Lord. Help us to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.